Once again, this is episode 188 of the Green and Gold Rugby Podcast. The Rugby World Cup special continues. Uh, once again, we've got a good crew with us, a vast crew, uh, plenty of experts and plenty to chat about. We'll start locally and uh, our fearless leader, Matt Rowley. How are you, Matt? Good, mate. Very good indeed. Excellent. And with you down there in Sydney town, Will McDougall. How are you going, Will? Very well, thanks, Reg. Thanks for joining us, and of course our uh, our lone, I guess, Northern Hemisphere expert, Jamie. You have to bear that title, I'm afraid. Jamie, joining us from the US. How are you, mate? Yeah, that's not a title I've always coveted. <laughs> um, very good, thanks. Well, for a complete lack of any Northern Hemisphere knowledge, uh, you are our closest thing there. So, uh, thanks for joining us, guys. Another great week of rugby. It's um, what you expect from the World Cup. We're gonna go through it. Look, you know. Last week we went through by pool by pool. We we will do that. I mean, I think everyone knows the results. Everyone's covering. Everyone's listening to this podcast. No knows what's going on. Pool B we'll chat about a bit, but Pool A is really where all the interest is from our perspective for a number of reasons, and we'll get there quickly. Pool D seems to be tracking along as you'd expect, guys. Ireland currently sitting on on the on first place uh, in ten points, followed by France, and you'd suspect those two will be the the top two. It'll be down to that last game on the eleventh of October. Uh, when France play Ireland, that'll probably decide who's the top. But Ireland have, have had a couple of big wins over Romania and uh, Canada. France have done had probably closer games versus Italy and Romania, and then Italy beat for Canada just a run at the pool. Any Anything there, guys? Anything you guys want to chat about in Pool D? Italy look terrible. Yeah, yeah. They look a bit ragged, don't they? There's, there's not much going on there. So um, they'll... Uh, They'll take on uh, Ireland next uh, in a couple of days' time. So, yeah, not much more I think that we need to say there. Um, pool C, again, as expected, New Zealand are out on top there. Uh, they're sitting on nine points. Tonga currently on six position. Oh, sorry, six points in second spot, uh, just in front of Argentina. But uh, New Zealand cruising along there. They obviously had that tight one with Argentina uh, first up and had a yeah, biggest win over Namibia, which was a pretty good game, to be quite frank. 58-14 um, wasn't the thrashing those games have been in the past, and they'll play Georgia uh, in the next couple of days as they uh, as they sort of start winding in towards the finals. Um, Argentina had a big win over Georgia. Tonga just last night uh, had a, a, a 35-21 win over Namibia, which was a was a cracking game, really good, enjoyable game of footy, I thought. Uh, Namibians are, are one who are, are really impressing at this tournament so far. Uh, again, throw it out there, guys. Anything to note? You know, it'll probably be that battle between Tonga and Argentina, and you'd think Argentina will come through there to be that second spot. Yeah, I just, I just mentioned for the uh, Rebels fans that in yeah. that Tonga match yesterday, Toulouse Veinu, or however the hell you're supposed to pronounce that, um, was basically unstoppable. Whenever he seemed to get the ball, he just made defenders fall off him left, right, and centre. Um, and he was on the Rebels' books last year and barely played. Wasn't seen. Mm. Staggering. I it's always big, funny when you, it's always funny when you see those those players take the big stage and look like world beaters, and then you realise you've actually had them in your B team for a couple of years. Yeah, exactly right. Will 
I think probably the biggest thing from this pool is uh, Namibia only yeah. losing to the All Blacks 58-14. to 14. I guess when you consider that Namibia was on the end of the, the biggest ever World Cup shellacking uh, at the hands of the Wallabies, what was it in uh, 2003 when they lost, uh, was it 142-0? Yep. It's kind of amazing that they're, they're now losing by 44 points to the All Blacks. So that's probably the... The real story of this World Cup is how how much the gap has closed from those second tier teams, and uh, Ab- it's great to see. Absolutely, and to put it in perspective, Namibia is a country of about two million people, so even fewer than New Zealand, if that were possible. Um, and Namibia competes in like the second division of South Africa's domestic competition. Um, they they didn't have enough money and couldn't find any training early this year, so the Springboks actually invited the Namibians to come and play with them when they were doing a training camp in Durban. I mean, this is a genuine ragtag team with a few professionals. Um, so it's an amazing achievement from them to lose by only 40 points to the All Blacks. Good on them. Tell you what, is that two podcasts in a, in a row we've had good things to say about the South Africans? We talked about a great crowd last time and then the Springboks, you know, opening the doors to me. Maybe you know, just getting a little bit uncomfortable. It feels disorienting. Um, I think it's the it's the Jean de Villiers captaincy yes. effect. You know, he's such a nice guy and everything, but he's gone now, and we'll talk about that in a second. So things are, normal service is going to resume. Yeah, exactly right. But yeah, it, they've looked uh, yeah. fantastic, Namibia. But there's a, that's a bigger point in there, isn't it? Which is just about these how close these so-called minnow games are becoming. I mean. Um, uh, we'll, we'll come on to it, no doubt, and I think there's a lot of disappointment about the number of points um, that we put on over the uh, over the weekend. But um, you know, with Uruguay, but I mean, you know, it's definitely it's, you know, nothing's getting anywhere near the ton. Um, you know, and these teams are holding teams like the All Blacks to fifty odd sort of things. You know, we we see scores like that in the bloody Super Rugby. Yeah, it, um, it, it really is amazing. It's it's the, the closeness of these games is fantastic. Um, you know, long may it continue. But I mean, it's interesting. I mean, you know, what's the dynamic in there? Because is this like uh, like a homogenisation of, um, you know, of professionalism? You know, where slowly, you know, everyone starts to, you know, starts to catch up. Um, is it something about the game? I mean, I don't, I, I don't know what you guys think about that. I think there's a couple of interesting points, and I think Will actually made it on the on the forum about the the French professional rugby program cops a lot of flack for you know poaching but they're probably at the forefront of a lot of the development of a lot of these uh developing nations players at least um which is fantastic for them but also you know world rugby if you listen to them have invested a fair bit of money into all of these nations uh over the recent years and if you listen to the reports on and you only have to see the crowds for this world cup they're incredible listen to the reports on what the profit will be for this World Cup and how much rugby world rugby will get, you'd hope that will continue to grow. Mm. Yeah, I mean, I, I I think you make a a good point there, which is that you know in those World Cups where we were seeing those 140 point shellackings, there was no pathway for these guys. Um, and now you know professional sport. Just when you when you see a professional sport, for example, like soccer in the UK, when they're recruiting kids at the age of five and six. Um, you know, you give it, you give it enough time and enough money, and it'll it'll find it, it'll find the talent, right? Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, I guess that's just what's happened. Is these guys, you know, if there's Namibian talent, if there's, uh, you know, and it's obviously happened to the Pacific Islands probably even earlier to a lot of these other places. 
um, you know, they'll be found. And, and now there's a there's a route through for them, I guess. But um, whichever way you cut it, it means that you end up with, you know, a much, much more enjoyable World Cup. Yeah, indeed. Um, all right, Pool B, Jamie, you're our uh, American expert. What's happening? Um, yeah, some interesting games. Last week, uh, Scotland beat Japan. They sort of blew them away in the second half. Japan had a four-day turnaround after beating the Springboks, and it was just too much for them. Um, not much to say there, except that, you know, Scotland have been going quietly about their work and really look good value for the quarterfinals right now. Mm. So good good for them. Um, and then South Africa beat Samoa. The score was... 46 to 6, but that doesn't in any way reflect the type of game that it was. Um, the Samoans were pretty useful. They scored a fantastic try that Tim Nanai Williams set up, uh, which obviously comes as no surprise to us. Uh, but it was called back for a pretty 50 50 forward pass. That was actually really the highlight. Um, but the major takeaway was just the way the Springboks bounced back. I mean, everything that we usually associate with them the physicality, the structures, um, just very effective in everything that they did. And uh, J.P. Peterson picked up a hat-trick, and they ended up winning by 40 points instead of losing to Japan. So, and, But it was, and I should remember, I did the match report on this one, but it was close at half-time, too. It was only really... Um, yeah, it was about 14 to 3 yeah, or something yeah, yeah. half-time. Um, yeah, it was one of those games where the scoreboard just, for whatever reason, just doesn't reflect what's going on on the, mm. on the field. Um but ultimately, they, they did very well. But uh, Jean de Villiers managed to fracture his jaw, um, play for another 25 minutes, uh, and then retire from international rugby. So it's been nice having him <laughs> around, I must say. He's a class act. Uh, but, you know, Jan Selfontaine will fly over to England and get his chance to, to get in the mix. Yeah, uh, a, a fantastic player, Jean. I think highly respected. And I think, um, you know, a lot of Aussie fans... Uh, uh, really recognised his abilities and the quality of the man. So sad to see him go, particularly in those sorts of circumstances. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it makes the game look good, and it's uh, one of the best things we can do to sell it to young kids is the heavy emphasis in the sport on sportsmanship and the culture of the sport. And people like him and, uh, oh, I can't believe I'm saying this, but Richie McCaw as well, I mean, they're, they're just great advertisements for the classiness of the game. So uh, good on them, and he'll be missed. Indeed. All right, well, let's get to it, guys. Um, pool A uh, is you know, just a cracker at the moment. Uh, Will, the first, we saw Australia for the first time this week, uh, this tournament uh, earlier this week or last weekend, versus Fiji, mate. What are your, uh, run us through that one and your memories and take well, away. Well, to, to use the old adage, it was certainly a game of two halves. I thought the first half Australia looked really, really good and, and pretty precise in, in the work they did. Um, and were really sort of controlling that game pretty well. I think from sort of the first minute of the game, it was very clear that David Pocock was what is our best player and uh, he sort of got a pilfer early in the first minute um, or forced penalty. Then he had a, a good run where he bumped off their sort of number 12, I think, and and we were looking really good, I thought. Um, we didn't sort of take them apart with any nice backline tries, but a couple of uh, tries from the rolling mall to Pocock. And we were sort of well in control at half time. And then after sort of scoring our third try early in the second half, it just sort of all fell apart a bit for the Wallabies. Uh, 
they sort of started making more mistakes. The lineouts started struggling, and then and Fiji really came back into the game well. They sort of upped their sort of uh, physicality and, and just were more precise in what they did. And um, there was sort of probably certainly after Fiji scored their try to to uh, former Waratah Ben Volavola, um there was a, probably a pretty dodgy turnover to the Fijians um, with some hands in the ruck when we thought we had the ball and. Uh, it, it left Vola Vola running at uh, Rob Simmons and Kane Douglas, and he sort of went straight through them to score under the post. Um, I guess one of the talking points was that we opted to take a kick for goal when we were ahead by 12 points with about 11 and a half minutes to go um, to put us outside two converted tries. And, and ultimately, look, we didn't get that fourth try bonus point, which is sort of particularly on the front page of, of Green and Gold Rugby. has been a big to- talking point after that game. Um, but look, generally, I think the Wallabies would have been pretty happy with that performance. They got away with a comfortable win, um, and sort of, apart from James Slipper knocking himself out, it was probably a, a good start to the tournament in terms of getting through unscathed uh, in that game. So, uh, yeah, I, I think Checker sort of was pretty happy after the game. He had a few sort of funny uh, comments to make about not not really knowing there were bonus points, which was seemed like a bit of foxing to me. But uh, yeah, onwards we went from there, and. Uh, well, let's, yeah, I guess yeah. let's let's drill into that one a bit more, Matt. Um, you're a Fijian expert, having just come back from a week in Fiji. Uh, that second half uh, performance by both teams was it more Fiji stepping up, or do you think the the Wallabies lost their way? Uh, Bula, everybody. <laughs> um, look, actually, I, I I know you've asked me a question, Reg, but I'm going to completely ignore it because I must talk about that decision. Thanks, Tony uh, Abbott. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, the, you know, immediately after the match, and there's some good people saying it, like, you know, um, who were saying, oh, that they were incandescent with rage, that um, Hooper decided to go for, for, the, for the polls. That is a no-brainer decision. I mean, I don't know if anyone on this podcast disagrees, but that is a no-brainer. If you are only up by 12 against Fiji, uh, you know, with 10 minutes to go in a World Cup, you know, pool game in a group of death, there is no decision to be made. You go for poles. Um, you get yourself more than two scores ahead. You, you don't even start thinking about bonus points because you just got you got to win the match. Um, and you know we're not playing against some grind out team here. We're playing against Fiji. So Fiji, you know, get another score. Suddenly, you know, there's five minutes to go. There's one try. There's less than a try in it. Who would who on earth would want to be in that situation? Um, suddenly, the the you know the the points are. You know, working against you. So that was an absolutely no-brainer. The point that Will was talking through, which was that dodgy turnover, which gave Volavola the try, if you think about it, that was the thing that, you know, well, partly the thing that screwed up. The thing that really screwed us up was the fact that we couldn't, you know, run our own line out. Mm. Um, And so that actually kind of brings me back to your actual question, what went wrong. A bunch of things went wrong, but when you can't secure your own ball, um, you know, off a line out. Um, that's a real problem uh, in international rugby. You need to be able to play some territory um, or at least benefit from the penalties that you're earning. And we couldn't do that for four line outs in a row, I think it was. And, you know, including a couple which, were, you know, wouldn't have, would have put us, you know, close to what is now an international gimme try from world rugby, which is the, the driving wall. So, um, anyway, the two things that we need to be probably pissed off about are, you know, that Vola Vola try or a turnover that leading up to it and the fact that a line-out went to crap. The thing we, you can't bitch about, in my opinion, at all is that we went to get more than 12 points ahead of the Fijians. 
Yeah, I really agree with that. Um, I mean, the line-out's becoming a real problem, but it was a real problem at the Waratahs for a couple of years. I mean, it was it was a problem um, three times in a row we lost line-outs against Fiji. I mean, I'm not even sure what to say. They, they just seem to not be going for the short line-out because they want to have a full back line out there. Um, and at the same time, there's just... Uh, you know, it's everything. There's miscommunication. There was one line out that Dean Mum took, turned to his own team, and then somehow lost. I mean, we're just—it's not up to international standard. That's the only way I can say it. It's—it's it's really looking very poor, and it has looked poor all year long. Yeah, there's there's a few aspects. You, you mentioned that one. The other one was that Blue Mailway was the one where it seemed like the call was down the back and it was ended up being a perfect throw to the Fijian number two. It was uh, yep. <laughs> easily taken. So, yeah, there's real concerns there. And, and I think I alluded to it elsewhere is um, I think Stephen Moore's form in general is a little bit concerning to me. He sort of, you know, the line-eight's not all him, but that throw was pretty clearly him and he's a big factor in it. And I just thought there's other aspects of the, his play that was disappointing. He... Uh, Surrendered in the tackle very easily, almost going down pre-tackle. But uh, look, you know, uh, move on. I, I hear what you say, Matt. I had some concerns about that bonus point, but I, I accept, you know, it was probably the right thing to do, probably more so in hindsight than anything. Um, and hearing Cheeky's comments, uh, I was, you know, the comment that he didn't know those bonus points, as, as you, Will says, a bit of a furphy. But you're right. In the end, you've just got to win your games, don't you? And, and, and uh, if that's by 20 penalty kicks, you'll do it. But uh, in the well, end, you've got to win those games. Well, mate, look, I, I'm not saying the penalty point might not bite us in the arse, or the, the yeah. pen, not the penalty point, the uh, bonus, bonus point. point yep. I'm not saying it's not important. I, I'm just saying you can't even start to think about that until you've got the game in the bag. Yeah. And so, you know, um, yeah, I mean, all those people saying, oh, this bonus, I mean, I don't disagree. Um, but it's actually, you know, until you, the thing to blame, like I say, is that breakdown and those lineouts. Um, you don't blame the, 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 the kick for poles because that was just like a, uh, an absolute no-brainer. Um, I, and I'm with you on the squeak. He's got this strange turnover he does where he gets tackled and he seems to drop the ball underneath yeah. He's done that a number of times, and it's it's carbon copy. It's yeah. it's it's really strange. I I'm with you. I I did the ratings for that game, and I think I rated him a three, which yeah. I think ruffled a few feathers. But you know, I I think we hold Squeak to a higher standard than a lot of people because yep. he's just one of those guys who's just so solid. And um, yeah, it was very it's very uncharacteristic for him. I I can't think that he's 100 percent at the moment. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, well, thankfully we've got a third hook in the squad, but we can talk about that later. Um. Look, let's... Uh, Jamie, do you have any comment on that one? That game? No, look, I'm going to wait and see. Uh, I'm, I'm still in shock about how bad the line-out is and, uh, and a bit nervous about that going into Saturday. Um, I mean, we even had a complete communication breakdown against Uruguay where the players were going in opposite directions. So, you know, let's just leave it. Let's, yeah. let's leave it at that. Well, let's jump to that Uruguay game. We'll, we'll jump over England-Wales for a second and just continue on the Australian theme. Again, I did the, the the article, the five observations, and and my first one was, eh, does this game really mean anything? We we got out of it what we wanted. We got you know good for and against, and we did get a bonus point. Um, some injuries there, uh, most notably, uh, you know, equally notably, I guess, because they've both gone home to Cliffy Palu and Will Skelton. Um, the question would be who, what role they would go play going forward. Probably uh, Skelton was more likely to play a role. Um, Jamie, what about this one? Much to take away from this one? 
Yeah, look, we'll start with the injuries. Um, I actually wouldn't have been very surprised if Skelton had been set to start this week against England. Uh, as Matt said, with the mall refereeing and knowing England going to be England, uh, they were going to do a lot of mauling, and Skelton's very effective in that one area. Um, so I think losing him is a blow. Um, it's true he hasn't been in great form the last couple of months, um, but still that takes that... Uh, that element uh, out of our arsenal. Um, as for Palu, I mean, I think most people would agree he probably shouldn't have been in the squad in the first place. Um, he's really been in decline for a while. Days, his best days are behind him. He's been a great servant, and it's sad to see him go out in this way and uh, retire. But, um, you know, I think it's probably better that he's not there, ultimately. I think he was not going to play a role in the tournament. Um, the replacements... You know, James Hansen for Palu was probably a pretty obvious point, though I keep seeing Ida Vea just munch it oh, up back gosh. home in Australia. I mean, the guy is just a beast, and, and the fact that he's not in a position to come in for Palu says a lot about talent oversight at the national level because he's got it. He's, he's, he's the real deal. Mm. Um, and Sam Carter for Will Skelton... Look, I, I don't actually have anything nice to say about Sam Carter, to be honest, so I'll just leave that for you guys. Wow. <laughs> Look, I, just, I guess... I mean, sorry. I just, thought, I just think there were a couple of other options there, most notably James Horwell, and I cannot for the life of me imagine why they've picked Sam Carter. I think he is lacking in all the areas where we need someone in the lock forward position. I just It's unfathomable to me. Uh, yeah, I'm interested as to what role he will play, um, whether he is seen as a starting option down the track, whether he's seen as a uh, a stronger line-out option than possibly a Doug, Kane Douglas or so on, uh, or whether he is would play that impact player role, which I don't think he is. I don't think he's an impact player, and, and I would have thought if it was the impact role, it would have been a Horwell selection. Now, understanding Carter went to the USA, so he was ahead of Hall theoretically, on the um, the shopping list. But uh, it just makes me think what role he may end up playing. Yeah, my take on it is I, I think... Um, look, I, I, I agree that Palu wasn't, wasn't going to... Like, the plan would have been going for that he wasn't going to play any further part in the tournament. Um, presumably, the idea is that James Hansen doesn't play in the tournament. Mm. Um, and uh, I also think that the same might apply to Sam Carter. I think losing Skelton's obviously been a fixture in, in our match day 23 all year. Um, and But I, I think his, losing him and, and bringing in another lock, I think we're going to see a change in our bench going forward and we'll, we'll only have one lock on the bench, which will be Dean Mum. And I think we'll, we'll play another back rower, which I tend to think will be Ben McCalman, but... but Certainly, there's big calls for uh, that to be Sean McMahon for his impact. But uh, yeah, look, it, it seems that um, trying to read between the lines with Michael Checker, he probably thinks that Sam Carter has a higher work rate in terms of sort of hitting rucks and, and clearing out and things like that, um, and, and marginally had him ahead of, of Hall on that that sort of uh, that measure. Um, Horwell probably he rates him as, as more of the line-out lock, although I, I don't know I agree with that. But, uh, look, that seems to be the reason Carter's been picked. But I'm guessing going forward we're, we're going to see a no, not see two locks on our bench. So I'm not predicting for Sam Carter to be selected this weekend against England. Um, yeah, no, I'd agree with that. 
Matt, uh, broader from this game, anything else, other takeaways? I guess it was probably significant. We talked about Sean McMahon and he stood up and whether that will give him an opportunity, I, I'm not too sure. I think Will's right. I think McCowan might end up there. But it was as, as significant for the guys who didn't make a claim, I thought, in terms of your Quades and Matty Tamur was one I was really hoping because I thought he's, you know, his ability to straighten play, his physicality and defence um, might be something we would need versus England, but I, I, I don't think he did enough. Yeah, well, um, well you've, you've dropped you've dropped the cue bomb on me there. You, you're going to set me off on that. <laughs> um, look, I, look, I thought as a as a, a bigger picture comment, um, it's interesting. I it looked to me like it was is interesting. This season, we've all been talking about how the finishes have come on and made a big impact and how, obviously, it didn't feel like there's been a B team. It felt like it was just like another side to an A team. But I think what we've seen in the last couple of weeks was against Fiji, um, you know, everything absolutely went to shit when the reserves came on. Um, as we were just talking about, the lineup couldn't function. Um, not that it was wobbly before, but then it just went completely AWOL. Um, and then it felt like against Uruguay, you saw a bunch of guys who they just hadn't been playing together. No. Um, and I guess what's probably been happening, because I do know that these sides have been named for a little while now. So, you know, I guess if you're the, the second team at training the whole time, depending how trainings run, I mean, maybe you're just there to kind of, you know, you're not actually constructing stuff. You're just there as the opposition. And that's what they looked like. You know, it didn't look like there was, you know, whereas with the A team in that first part of the Fiji test, everything was lovely, you know, nicely drilled. They knew what they were doing. It was all polished. This just looked like a bunch of guys trying to push passes and make stuff happen. Um, I, I say all that, though, and we've racked up the most points out of any game in the World Cup. So, um, you know, make of that what you will. But as part of that, obviously, um, what do we have? Ten tries. Uh, and I think... Only, 11, I think. 11, sorry. I made that mistake twice now. 11 tries, and only five of them converted by Quay Cooper. Um, so I think that's quite a problem. I I can't get over... If there's any... The guys who are watching, who are listening to the podcast, look, you know, I love you too. Um, but the, 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 the Quaid defenders, you know, they're, they're of an ilk. They, they need that job that the New Zealand give to the Ritchie defenders that go off around the world defending him on blogs when anyone criticises him, um, because they're staunch. Um, so the defence on that was that the other players didn't run close enough to the posts. Because uh, <laughs> of the narrow in goals, I did I, read that. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I'm not fucking joking. Yeah. Actually, <laughs> actually coming on and saying that, and I was like, okay, yeah, right, okay. And then, um, look, I, I thought the, um, the yellow card he got was pretty soft, I must admit. Um, I probably would have said it should have been a penalty. Um, it was kind of up around neckish, and it was just a carbon copy of those other three times he's been bloody, or you know, he's, he's, or the other two times he's been sent off. Um, he's just done it again. So you know, it's this high-reaching, crazy sort of tackle that's never going to really properly stop anyone. And I just don't understand what's going on in his head to think that you can do it. And you know, if for anyone saying, well, you know, it's unlucky, it's like, mate, you know, how many people do you know? You can, is it three times in four matches? Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. You know, it's just, it's just, you know, it's that's no longer a coincidence. Um, and you know, you, you just, you just can't do it. So, 
you know, and then, but at the same time, everyone's going, oh, but he threw some beautiful balls. He did throw a few, I admit, I admit, and he did show a nice little bit of running. It was against Uruguay, everybody, so we probably need to calm a little bit. I mean, I, I read another one saying, you know, Bernard Foley couldn't have done that well. I think he could have looked okay against Uruguay. Um, but I just think we're in this thing now, and I, I did see a few people making comments I agreed with, which was, look, no matter how much you love the guy, you know, and I think we all do, we all love his talent, it's, you know, pointy end of tournament, high-pressure stakes, where games like, you know, England, Wales, where three points make all the difference, you, you just can't ride somebody who can't get 50% of his kicks and is going get, to get sent off three out of four games. It's yeah. Just, can, can, can I jump in there? Sorry. Yep, go for it. Go, Jamie. Yeah, look, I, I completely agree with that. I mean, I think with players like Quaid, we, we want everyone in Australia playing. We want them uh, developing in Australia. We want them inspiring young players. Um, but Matt's just hit the nail on the head, which is <clears throat> if you, you, you just can't rely upon him. I mean, if you're going to sum up Quaid Cooper's career so far in one word, it'd be judgment. Uh, no one doubts he's got the talent. It's just judgment. He just doesn't seem to understand how to pick the right choice at the right time, how to weigh up the cost-benefit analysis of his actions and pick the right option. Um, and those high tackles, I mean, the question you've got to ask yourself is, great, even if he doesn't get the yellow card, even if he doesn't commit the penalty, what's what's the benefit there? Why doesn't he tackle just like everybody else does? Why is he flinging arms around the head in the first place? It's just judgment. There's no other good reason for it. And I think it's really damaging his prospects as a first-team player. I think you're absolutely right that in the pointy end of a tournament, he is a liability. Sorry, Quaid haters, but that is the position we're at now. Um, and it's a real shame. You know, I think he's got the talent to be a really great player, and maybe he still can do that. But he's got to fix this judgment problem. It's it's really that simple for me. I certainly think he, he missed a bit of an opportunity. Like I, I tend to think if if he hadn't given away the yellow card and had kicked maybe nine out of eleven and acknowledging that they were generally pretty difficult kicks, we'd probably be having a pretty difficult different conversation right now. And then after Foley had a solid but not overly impressive game against Fiji, there'd be probably a lot of talk of that quite and and probably a lot of thoughts within the Wallaby camp that, that he's a reasonable shot to char- to start against England. But uh, look, I think yeah. those, uh, the kicking and the, and the yellow card probably have ruled him out. And I'd be very surprised if Foley doesn't start against England. And I think probably the biggest thing out of the Uruguay game was that, that most of the players pegged as, as having that chance to sort of get a starting spot or, or in um, indeed a sort of spot in the 23 against England probably blew their chances. Drew Mitchell had a terrible start to the game, although then had a very good second half. So he's probably still still in the running, maybe, with his kicking game against England. Um, to sort of, but I think probably Rob Horn will keep that spot for his sort of defence uh, in the midfield when he when he sort of comes in for our defensive structures. Uh, and look, Nick Phipps and Kirtley Bill both had pretty good games. Um, and I think that's good because they'll both be on the bench against England and, and we need that sort of, we need to go back to that sort of uh, finishes concept where our bench really comes on and makes an impact. So it was good that they played well because we're going to need them to produce sort of a really good twenty last 20 minutes or something, whatever opportunity they get off the bench. Yeah, and at the risk of segueing into our, our, 
uh, our major focus for today, you know, the game against England, there is one thing that Quade Cooper can offer that Bernard Foley can't, and that's getting wide quickly with those big wide passes. And as we saw in England-Wales, that was critical to Wales's comeback success, their ability to go really wide really quickly and get on the outside in that 13 channel and divide the the widest from the second widest defender. That was essentially the mechanism that they used to get back in that game. And you think, oh, there's a guy I know who can do that basically as well as anyone, and his name is Quade Cooper. But then you think, hang on, you know who had really tough kicks on the weekend? Dan Bigger. Dan Bigger had a really tough set of kicks on the weekend, and he nailed every single one. And how many of those would you back Quade Cooper to kick? Yeah, exactly right. Well, let's let's get into that game because um, it's an, it was an astounding one. As a, I, uh, I, you know, it was maybe not South Africa Japan in terms of game of the tournament, but it was a damn close one. Just the intensity, and I must admit, I was watching that first half and and the physicality, uh, and maybe some of the finishing wasn't quite there or the. Uh, clinicalness of it, but the physicality and aggression of, of England in particular impressed me looking at this week ahead, and I, I had real concerns about any of our forwards being able to match up with them other than David Pocock, but um, just a just a wonderful performance, you know, by both sides, I thought, and, you know, England faded away definitely, but the guts of Wales to hang in there, given all their injuries, further injuries in the game, um, and to, to just continue to hang in there and then take the the game away at the end was just just a wonderful moment and, and one of those matches that I think will go down as in rugby league in rugby world cup folklore. So Matt, you've obviously analysed this game pretty closely and 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 your recent article today on the scrum was a particular talking point and has gone global. But let's let's talk about this for a game. What's your takeaways, mate? Oh, it was an amazing game, wasn't it? And it was partly amazing because the way it seesawed. Yeah. You had to, you had to, pin, you had to remind yourself. I, I my takeaway up until probably the 62nd minute, and actually the funny thing was that 62nd minute made me think even more so that there was no way Wales was going to win this game because that 62nd minute was when there were more Welsh injuries than there were doctors um, <laughs> on, on the field, and um, you just thought, geez, this is no, and this is when they'd already lost somebody as well. So you just thought, well. Wales had been towed up. England were making meters whenever they wanted it, um, and then you know anything kind of stopping them, you know, really with, with themselves. Um, and Wales couldn't get past the English um, sort of uh, compressed defence. And you just thought, well, okay, you know, this is you know kind of game over, and actually probably it'll blow out in England's favour. Uh, and it, yeah, it just didn't happen. And and even with those injuries, when I think Wales had two halfbacks on the field and two tens or whatever else, um, the game just completely swung around. I I still don't... I mean, there's a piece of analysis in there to try and work out just how England managed to lose that quite so badly because it's, you know, it's, it's hard to say how Wales kind of pulled it back except that they seemed to find, a, a, you know, like a, a, a double line play and finally get the ball wide and then there was just acres of space because Barrett can't defend anything wide um, and that just kind of opened the whole game up, really. Um, but it was a stunning game. I mean, you know, the, like you said, the intensity was there. Um, just, I guess, I'll, I'll just to talk a little bit about that the, the scrum bit that I did. I mean, obviously that's going to be an interesting one. I think we're all howling about what John, Joe Marla did and how obvious it was that he was boring in and how Gar says just couldn't even he couldn't spot it. Um, but actually, under a closer look, you know, I think the Welsh were equally as 
um, nefarious in um, with Jenkins, who just decided to bore in uh, at 90 degrees himself. The thing that, having done that whole analysis, um, the thing that I absolutely gobsmacked me when I and I, I didn't realise it until I did the analysis was both teams had scrums on the opposition's 22-metre line in the middle of the field, so split field, one of the best attacking spaces you can have. Both teams had that and decided to go try and niggle a scrum penalty. Um, And the Welsh lost it, and that was in the first five minutes, and the the Poms managed to, to, to wiggle one out. And I just think, what does that say about your mentality? I, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if I'm naive here, but I can't imagine the Wallabies making that choice. You'd hope not. It's one of those perfect setups where you put a Johnny May himself or, you know, Mike Brown on the blind and just get the ball to him and let him go for it. Um, yeah. You're exactly right. I mean, that, that just that blows me away, what it says in the mentality. Um, but anyway, uh, and it, so w- we'll see what happens. And what's been interesting about the reaction to, um, you know, my that, that, that post that I put up... Um, is it, it seems to me that like most people, apart from the, some of the, the the absolute diehards, but most people are like, yeah, it's a real, you know, isn't it a shocker <laughs> that this is where we've got to with scrums? Um, that you know that that's the state we're in, and and even worse that refs haven't got an a, haven't got a Scooby Doo about it, and even worse, I think most people have said, and you know, with Poit, who we've got this weekend, and Gar says mm. from last weekend. And, you know, they're quite open about it. They don't give a shit. I think, yeah, look, I think this, that's one area where communication is really important. And in a sense, I'm happy that Moore is going to be our captain right there on the front line, talking to the ref directly and constantly. Um, really reminds me of something funny we saw in the South Africa Samoa game, uh, which was ref by Wayne Barnes, who has been absolutely fantastic in his first two games so far. And, Quick fearless tip here, he'll end up refing the World Cup final, particularly because yeah. England won't be there. Um, and Fouri Dupria was back, he's just turned back the clock and was in the ref's ear all day long. And at one stage he was asking Barnes to go upstairs, uh, going upstairs, I'll look at the TMO. And Barnes said, you've been whining at me all afternoon. That's damaged your credibility, hasn't it? <laughs> um, and it was, a, it was a great little moment. Um, but it did remind you of how important it is to have someone in the ref's ear constantly talking. I'm not sure Moore's got the persuasive skills of Dupria, but at the very least, I'm happy he's going to be there in the front row because if the scrum is refed accurately and if the Australian pack can get a fair shake of it, I think we'll probably edge them. But uh, if England get the rub of the green like they did last week, That'll make our chances uh, really nosedive a bit. It'll make it a lot harder for us to get that win. Will, do you have any comments on this game, on the game England-Wales? Because otherwise it's probably a good leaping point to look at how, we, you know, how we're going to do it. One, one last thing. I probably think like we've obviously seen an increase in the use in the, in the TMO, and one of the things that's been quite good is that there's been a bit of, um, I guess, you can hear the uh, conversation between the referee and the TMO while play's still going on, and on in a couple of situations where they're sort of checking something live to um, to see if the play needs to be stopped or whatever. Um, and I think with with the technology available, the TMO should have quite an active role with the overhead camera um, in the scrums. Like I think a lot of the a lot of the illegalities can be can be seen on the overhead shots, and uh, it'd be probably pretty good if the TMO had quite an active role while the scrum's actually packing um, 
to sort of call out some of those penalties that are quite quite clear once you see the replays. But if the referee's not on the same right side, uh, they never never get called essentially. So that would that wouldn't be bad to happen. But uh, we're probably stuck with what we've got at the moment, and uh, the Wallabies just have to deal with it. Yeah, you're exactly right, and I think as Matt alluded to in his article, you know, quite often the ref's just on the wrong side, and it's it's not always a case where the touch he can call it because he's so far away. Quite often, um, you almost it's one of the areas where you could do with an extra set of eyes around scrum time there. Um, so let's leap on from that, and we, you know, Australia have had their couple of games and and uh, the big win over Uruguay. And looking at this game just past the the England Wales performance in particular. Um, I guess, Jamie, go back to you. You you seem like we can do it. What do we learn from that, that our opportunities to, to beat England? Yeah, absolutely. Well, I think maybe to turn the question on the head, how can we imagine Australia losing? Um, and I think there's two really obvious ways we can imagine them losing. One is if it becomes a scrum-a-thon and Poit just refs us off the park. I can't... You know, that's possible, but I think... The improvement in the Australian scrum this year has been massive. I mean, it's probably been the most satisfying part of watching the Wallabies has been seeing us have four different props in different combinations and often getting uh, a dominant scrum. You know, we've seen other teams walked back. We've seen us getting penalties from pure dominance. I mean, that to me has been the most satisfying part of watching the Wallabies because, you know, just 10 years of like serious trauma that I've had to go through and see all the psychologists after, you know, just watching our props just flop around all over the place. Um, but that's still one possible way we can lose. The other one is goal kicking. Um, you know, Bernard's definitely uh, apt to have the odd day where he looks like a, a back, you know, a club rugby level goal kicker. Um, so I think if we can tidy up those two areas, if Bernard kicks his goals and we don't get penalised off the park, I think we win. I, I back us. Um, I think it really is that simple. What do you guys reckon? Will? Yeah, I think I think we can we can definitely win, and um, I, I think we've got to, got to win the battle in the forwards, and I, I think we can do that. I thought England sort of struggled towards the end of the game, and their fitness probably wasn't wasn't there, and that, that should be an area where Australia can really, really get one over them. Um, and, yeah, we've just got, to, just got to be better in the pack, and I think particularly with sort of um, our back row, I think we can really sort of bring some physicality there and match them and, and hopefully get the better of them. Um, I, I tend to think the backs are kind of fairly equal. Uh, I think we've probably got more attacking prowess in our inside backs and they've got a really good back three that probably shades us. But um, I'd say they're generally sort of pretty even overall in the back line. But I, I think we can win this game in the forwards and uh, and do enough um, and I think England have, have got a couple of couple of real injury worries. So uh, particularly to their halfback, uh, yeah, I thought um, Ben Young, Young was, yeah. was, was their best player. And, yeah. and when he came hobbled off at about the 50-minute mark, that was a real turning point. And Rigglesworth was all right, but he wasn't anywhere near, um, uh, sort of didn't have the impact on the game that uh, Young's had. And if he doesn't if he doesn't play, I think that's a big, big bonus to Australia. Uh, Courtney Laws is out, which... Uh, which is definitely a big blow for them. Joe Launchbury is very good, um, but I think they'll their bench lock uh, Cruz will will uh, is a bit of a step down. Um, and then, interestingly, after sort of it had been said that he was out for a few weeks, but uh, Jonathan Joseph's coming back into the 13 jersey it seems. Uh, and look, 
he's got some had a chest or rib injury or something and uh Look, I'll be hoping uh, Tavita Kuradrani or yep. Pocock or Hooper can put a big hit on him early because uh, we'll, we'll see how good his ribs actually are. Um, yeah, that, that and there's a real issue for them. And there's Billy Vunapola, who's uh, oh, yes, out for the absolutely. rest of the tournament. Talking about fronting up front, stopping England's momentum, losing Billy Vunapola is is huge. Yeah. You know, he, he was uh, he and Youngs. I thought were their two most critical players early on, and in that game so once they lost those guys that's when a lot of momentum changed so they're yeah, a massive he, loss of he just has that body type um you know he's, i mean he's just massive really reminds me of Ida Vea, where mm. you just you just can't stop him like he's he's always going to get you over the advantage line you know he's fast enough he's big enough and he's got those two big tree trunks of legs powering him on so that missing him i think will will make a big difference for england yeah, look, I um, before I throw to you, Matt, I, and, and I guess you talk about where I think how Australia can lose it. I am worried about our physicality in the forwards, uh, albeit you know that needs to be balanced with some of those uh, changes to the English teams, or at least alluded to changes. Um, and we don't know the Australian team. I assume it will be named in the next 24 hours or so, maybe Thursday by the time it. You know, I think I mentioned that Greg Holmes may start only because he doesn't get a run versus Uruguay if that means anything. But either way, I've got concerns about a physicality. I think Pocock, from what I saw versus England-Wales, is the only one that can really match him physically, or at least has shown that recently. Hooper has got the, the big D game, without a doubt. Um and uh, but uh, doesn't have you know the impact at the the big impact at the ruck and the clearing out that I don't that I think Pogok has, and, and then the inside backs I'm worried about you know I, I don't think we're getting any really impact through the line there and creating anything we're we're still heavily reliant on on Izzy and you know maybe if we get Izzy to run those outside lines um, that uh, that Wales found some space and that might help us but. Um, yeah, that's probably my concerns, Matt. I mean, can we we get over those, or am I am I overly worried about that? Matt? Sorry, right, guys. Sorry, I'll, guys. I'll I, had, I, had, I had the mute. No, get out of here. I got the conch. Um, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I um, sorry, guys. Yeah, I, had, I had the mute on for a second there. Look, I, I see all those, Reg, and um, yeah, you know, you, you can see all the wobbles. I think. The problem is England's been our bogey team for a little while now, haven't they? And, yeah. uh, and I think they know where we hurt, and it's where they're strong. You know, set piece, um, they've got an aura of invincibility about them. For them, line-outs are never a problem because they, everyone seems to be about eight feet tall. Um, I actually worry about that. I actually think we might see that, you know, scrums are about even. Um, we might even get a bit of a, a, a shove on them. Uh, and then what we'll see is that the line-out will kind of fall to bits. And if that does, then I think we're in real trouble. Um, I remember a few years ago we had a real line-out tr- problem, and I think we've forgotten. You know, we had an all-star back line at that point, and I think we've forgotten, um, you know, when you, can't get your own, when you can't get your own ball, suddenly penalties don't mean anything anymore unless you can put them between the sticks. You know, penalty, kicking to touch is no longer an option. And that's a disaster. So that's probably what I, I more worry about. Um, I think the things we've got to remind ourselves is that um, the, the pooper should absolutely clean up. Um, yeah. So, you know, the, the, this this pommy pack is no good over the ball. Um, you know, when Rob Shaw's your, your scavenger, yeah. you're in trouble. Um, so, you know, that that should be absolutely mouth-watering. Um, and, I mean, probably the only other... I mean, I'm glad, you know, that Ben Youngs, if, if he's def- if he's out, that's massive. 
God, he looked good. He was he was he was a huge part to, to their um, attack. And I just remembered for those people who are on Twitter, there is a Twitter account called Lendrid, um, which is actually at stuff Ben said, and allegedly it is a Twitter account by somebody else in the England camp who literally just writes down the crazy crap that Ben Young said. I think he's a little bit on the spectrum, um, <laughs> and and the stuff that he says is absolutely out there so if you go and you look it up it hasn't been there hasn't been a post for 194 days um but the stuff that's in there is you can tell someone hasn't made it up but it, it would have to be something that someone said so there's a tip off to everybody anyway i think losing him is massive um and then the other guy i think who's absolute quality he is the uh, subject of our um was it um uh, Facebook post with the greatest reach. It got to over half a million people this week. Um, was that Mike Brown interview um, when he, he cracked the shits? Um, but he he is good. Um, he's really good on counter attack, and you know our clearance downfield clearance isn't great. Um, you know as we know, and so um, yeah, I mean he's he's a bit of a worry coming back. But otherwise, I think we should be able to absolutely carve the English midfield. Um, and uh, you know, and, and and go through there. We just need to s- s- secure a bit of ball. Um, so anyway, it's going to be an interesting one. I couldn't tell you the outcome of this one. I, um, if we get it right, I think we'll absolutely steamroll them. Otherwise, I think they're going to suck us down to a battle, and um, it's going to be like a penalty goal in it. Yeah, I think I think one of the really interesting things about this England team is they they've really got a foot in two different camps at the moment. On the one hand, they've got the traditional style that they've played, which is, you know, very conservative, strong emphasis on 10-man rugby. And then they've, they've sort of got this other foot where they've, they've just been dabbling their toe in the water a bit with playing a more expansive form, relying on Jonathan Joseph and Johnny May and guys like that. And they've had so much success with the second way, but their instincts keep bringing them back to the first, you know. And, and uh, there was a really nice article on the site uh, about the ways in which Owen Farrell and George Ford respectively respect those two, um, reflect those two different philosophies. But I think that given the danger that Pocock presents over the ball, England are going to have to kick it. They're going to have to get out of their own half or at least out of their own 40 metres pretty regularly. And I think if we can force them to do that, that'll push them back towards that more conservative option and really take some of those more attacking weapons out of the game. And I'd really like to see that happen because, frankly, their back three, their back line is much quicker than ours is. Um, And out wide, they've just got some real genuine class. I think May, Watson and Brown are, you know, among the best back threes out there, to be honest. What do you guys think? Yeah, I agree. I was blown away by their... Performance. I knew Mike Brown. I guess I probably didn't know Watson and May as well, but uh, they looked uh, super classy. And uh, part of my concerns, and I guess you know we don't have a, a speedy uh, couple of wingers, but they're pretty solid defensively. Um, so yeah, that'll be a good battle. Um, guys, we might uh, wrap that up and just sort of look at the weekend ahead from a games perspective. Um, that uh, that Wallaby game, I guess, for everyone is obviously. Um, uh, coming up on Sunday morning Aussie time at I think it's would it be five o'clock. Have you guys started daylight saving down there this weekend, or when's that all happening? Yeah, it's this weekend, so it's six six a.m. Sydney time uh, and five a.m. Brisbane time. Good. Okay. All right. So uh, cracking match, but uh, just quickly. Uh, so our, the next match 
on the agenda is Friday morning when Wales will play Fiji, which 2.45 Sydney time, 1.45 Brizzo time. That should be a cracking match. Uh, you know, I think Wales are still struggling a few injuries and so on. Fiji will be out with, with, without Nadolo, who's suspended after the Australian game for a, a, a sort of similar head fling. Um, so uh, that'll be well worth it. Thoughts on that one? Do you reckon Fiji can get up there, uh, Jamie? Or? Oh, look... I don't know. I mean, I, I guess for Australia's chances, we kind of want Wales to lose, but I've just got so much love for them at the moment, yeah, given yeah. what they've... I mean, anyone who beats England is good in my book, but, I mean, they've just had to go through so much. I mean, they've got more injuries, you know, than a field hospital at the Somme. I mean, it's just extraordinary what they've had to deal with. I mean, they're almost down to a B team in some places, and, yeah, full credit to them. They're showing what... Uh, they're showing real spirit, so... I reckon they'll probably just be able to get up, but it'll right. be tough. won't be easy. So, yep. So after that, we've got France-Canada on, on Friday morning as well, which will be pretty straightforward. And then New Zealand will play Georgia on Saturday morning, another pretty obvious one. Samara in Japan uh, on Saturday night. Uh, might be Monday morning in, in Sydney at about 12.30 in Sydney time, um, which will be a, a, a fantastic match and really important for that Pool B. Uh, despite their first-round win, Japan are currently sitting in fourth spot. So... Um, you know, we'll, we'll want to get up there. Uh, and that's followed by a South Africa-Scotland game. So really massive weekend for uh, Pool B. Uh, a couple of interesting ones there. Will, uh, any thoughts on which way they might head? I, look, it would be good to see Japan beat Samoa and, and give themselves a shot at, at sort of sneaking through um, with their last game against uh, the USA. Um, I think they're a good chance there because I think Samoa's nowhere near as good as they they were a, a couple of years ago. And yeah. then, yeah, South Africa, Scotland. Scot- Scot- it's hard to see Scotland winning because South Africa sort of seems to have found their mojo a bit, but uh, the Scots are playing pretty well. And, look, that, that's definitely the, uh, the battle to see who wins the pool. Um, so, look... I'll be certainly cheering Scotland on. So uh, hopefully they they play well. Um, I think they lost one of their their starting locks, uh, Gilchrist, during the week. So that that's quite a big loss for them. But uh, might mean we see the uh, Grey brothers combining. Mm. Um, so later that night, uh, around midnight, is Argentina Tonga, which again is probably a pretty significant one for Pool C. It'll be the battle of who comes second behind New Zealand. Uh, Tonga currently there, but you'd suggest that Argentina might end up there. Uh, that's followed by an Ireland-Italy game, which, uh, given um, form, Ireland should r- run away with that unless they succumb to Italy's level um, there. And uh, that should pretty much see us until our, probably our next podcast, guys. So um, there's some cracking games there that weekend, Matt. Yep, should be should be a good one, mate. And, uh, yeah, up nice and early on, on, on Sunday. It's just, oh, don't have a better sleep. Yeah, exactly Let's right. hope we're all in good moods next week. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I, I want you all to promise now you will do a podcast, even yeah, yeah. if thinkable <laughs> happens. It's always hard to get a podcast out. <laughs> After a loss, isn't it? Yeah, exactly, exactly. right. And I think we could be have four a... Mike Browns talking to each other. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think we could have a new sponsor on board, so I need you guys to sign up. All right, we're there. Look, right. I, I wanted to, before we wrap up and get to the NRC, we should recognise uh, Cliffy Palu. You know, we've mentioned him and going home, but you'd suggest that's probably the end of his Wallaby career. He's off to Japan uh, uh, next season uh, there. Um, he's been a wonderful servant of the game, both for the Wallabies and the Waratahs, and it's it's great that he um, 
managed to get that Super Rugby title a couple of years ago because he deserves it. He's been um, uh, a very significant player, and I think he, he cops a bit of flack sometimes, but I think as a lot of people make the point, the fact that he's so highly recognised in those player awards shows the value he brings to those those teams. He yeah. he made his debut for the Wallabies all the way back in 2006. I think that was John Connolly's first year as coaching. So he's been around for the while, but um, a, a wonderful player, and uh, we wish him well. Yeah, I mean, the one yeah. thing I was going to add to that is that I, I happen to know that what Chex was looking for, what was that he was just looking for half a game out of it. Yeah, right. Um, of, of Cliffy Vintage. And he, I know he'd seen it this year. I think it might have been the Waratahs versus the Chiefs. Um, and where Cliffy, um, you know, absolutely made a barnstorming game, and he has he, he can play a sort of game that we don't have many people like that in Australia who can. Um, and I and I know that I think Chex was hoping against hope he might see that, um, and and that was his roll of the dice, that was his gamble, um, which was to say, look, you know, rather than having a third, um, you know, hooker kind of on the bench who we're probably not going to see, um, you know, if we can get a half a game like that out of Cliffy, and you know that look, that would have looked pretty good this weekend. It's, I mean, it's worth it's worth saying that for about nine years, despite all of the coaches at, at the Wallabies and at the Waratahs, all the different people, um, when he's fit, he's been first choice. Um, it really hasn't even been close. I mean, he's it's it he's he's offered something that every coach has has gone and to. So good on him. He sits on fifty-seven caps, so three shy of that uh, eligibility criteria. Um, for overseas player selections. So uh, that might have just been something relevant for the World Cup, whether it plays a factor going forward, but uh, uh, an interesting buy point there. Uh, guys, I just want to jump to the NRC, and, and we'll finish on that with a, with a quick bit of rugby news. It's been a long one, but it's uh, there's a lot going on. Uh, a great weekend of rugby in the NRC, starting with a, an old-school slugfest on Thursday night in the wet, where Queensland country uh, scored their second win of the season, uh, probably upsetting New South Wales country 24-16. Don't know if you guys saw it or have seen the highlights, but the conditions were atrocious. Real, real winds, real rain, um, and... Uh, uh, Eagles had the had it all in their favour in the first half, but just couldn't quite get the lead they needed to. And then uh, Queensland Country, you know, did well to stick with them in the first half, but then went away in the second half on the back of one of the most dominant scrummaging performances you've seen. Um, Jamie, you talk about the Wallaby scrum, but it got it's it's present in this NRC. There are some really strong uh, scrums going around, some fantastic props, and and you got to mention Taniello Tupo, the the Tongan Thor, who started his first game and got man of the match and was just superb, scrummed superbly, bigger defence, big running, scored a crucial, crucial try, which happens to be his third in th- three games. And uh, he's just, you know, you don't want to rush him because the kid's only just turned 19. And as he said in his post-match interview, he was playing schoolboy rugby this time last year. It, it's just an amazing um, feat so far. So we'll see how he continues to, to develop. Yeah, I thought it was a pretty impressive game given the con- conditions. I thought it was sort of more more yeah. running rugby than you'd expect in such terrible weather. And uh, yeah, certainly the scrum was the difference in that game though. Uh, I think if if New South Wales country had sort of managed to get to an yeah, exactly uncontested right. scrum sooner or, or uh, had any sort of competitiveness there, they would have probably won that game. But just pretty much every scrum of the game was a penalty against them. And uh, that's hard to sort of come back from. But, uh, yeah, definitely some good performances from the country forwards and uh, Queensland country, that is. And uh, Tupo was outstanding, but but so were the other... Uh, some of the other sort of players in the front row for Fugazi, yeah, exactly. Um, and and yeah, Murphy, who's the hooker, yep. who's making his starting debut, is only 19 as well. And and Fugazi's, you know, early 20s. So there's a lot of young talent there. So it was great to see. Um, 
on uh, the weekend, we went to the Vikings. They had a, a big win over the North Harbour Rays, 63-37, to 37, but I think the Rays were up by 28-5 to 5 or something like that uh, after the first 20 minutes. So they really turned it on and played well uh, early on. But as we're just seeing, these teams, these Sydney teams that are made up of more uh, the club players just can't match it with the pros uh, for the duration of the game, and the, the Vikings led by Jared Butler and, and Itavia, who was unstoppable again, and Christian Liliafano just ran away with it in the end and, uh, and, and piled on the points for a big win and remained undefeated. Um, Perth Spirit had a great win over Melbourne Rising. Perth Spirit, one of these teams that have uh, sort of felt their way a bit and, and you know, alternated losses, and I guess they lost the first three games before the first win, and they had a big win versus, versus Queensland Country last week, and... and sort of backed it up with a win over Melbourne Rising on the weekend over there in Perth. Excellent performance and, the, and, and probably the most pleasing thing from my perspective and I think a lot of fans' perspective is Kyle Godwin is, is really far, starting to find form again, um, which is fantastic. That's what this you know this competition has so much benefit and that's one of it is these guys, uh, you know, to back themselves and find a bit more confidence. So uh, spirit on a bit of a rise, uh, rising, uh, uh, you know, still in the top four but uh, uh, precarious, shall we say. Um, and then the last match of the round was uh, the Sydney Stars coming back to form. Uh, people thought they might uh, fall off, but they had James Hansen, newly appointed James Hansen, back in the team, and they beat the, the Rams 44-32 to uh, in a, a very solid performance. And Harry Jones, again on the wing, young Harry Jones, was the star scoring a, a hat-trick of tries there. Yeah, Reg, I was just going to mention, how yeah. impressive does Harry Jones he's got look? The, he's got the smarts, doesn't he? He's, he's I mean, got speed. But he's, he's, he seems a really smart player. He knows the play to play at the right time. Yeah, yeah, and he has different ways to score. You know, he's big and he's fast, and he seems to manage to get over for a couple of meat pies every week. I mean, I think there's many benefits to this competition, but one of the big ones is that these talented youth players, um, in the last few years, they seem to just get warehoused, you know. They, they, they play for Australia at the under-20s, and then they basically, you know, go into the, the Gen Blue system or whatever for a couple of years. And instead, in the NRC, they're actually playing rugby at a competitive level. Um, and I think it gives you a much better idea of who's got the talent to step up and who doesn't. And that's just not for the fans. It's for the franchises as well. They know who to invest in. And this yeah. guy, Harry Jones, he's got Mate, it. I have to so, mention, for your sake, uh, I know we, we sort of had a little, little bit of a whinge with Alex Northam off you know, missing out on an opportunity. He's going off to, to France. Uh, the Rays picked another young winger. I think it's Josh Porch. On the wing um, this week, he scored two tries, and mate, he's just as fast, if not faster, than Northam. He he scored one try in particular <laughs> from a quick Josh Holmes tap and go, which was scorched the turf at Pittwater Park. It was amazing. So, um, I'll have a, a preview of the round up tomorrow, up on uh, on Thursday morning. But, geez, there's some cracking games this weekend. The Rams and the Rays is a, a bottom of the table clash. But it'll be a fantastic encounter because these are the two teams that sort of match up. You know, there's no there's no super rugby players, but there's plenty of talent on show. So that'll be a crack, cracking game on Fox Sports on Thursday night. The Vikings versus the Rising, which is one versus four, so critical there, uh, particularly for the Rising. Stars versus Brisbane City on Friday night as well at Leichhardt Oval, which is also, that's uh, three versus two, and it's also a Horan Little Challenge game. Uh, so that's really important from a Stars perspective. Um, and then the Spirit versus Eagles. Uh, the Spirit continue their drive into the Final Four, which is on Sunday afternoon 
over there in Perth. So uh, some cracking games in the NRC this week. Uh, it's gone really long, guys, and I don't think there's much more we wanted to go. The Super Rugby draw has been released this week, and it's got Japan and it's got Argentina, and it there's, it's probably takes a little while to digest, to be quite frank. It's uh, pretty complicated, but uh, uh, personally, I'm pretty excited about it. It's good to see, a, 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 you know, sometimes new is uh, is uh, uh, something uh, exciting, something to look forward to. Yeah, you, uh, you yeah, wouldn't definitely. bet against... You. You wouldn't bet against the Argentinians not winning that tournament first up. They've managed to sign half of the Pumas squad already. They look in very... And, of course, it's going to be a nightmare to play them in Argentina. So I think they're going to be strong off the bat. First-year teams traditionally do very, very poorly in this competition, but I think Argentina are going to buck that trend. All right, guys, uh, anything else we want to cover before we wrap up, Matt? No, mate. I'm, uh, yep, I'm just sitting here uh, getting excited. All right, Will, yourself, all good? Yep, just uh, be struggling to sleep till uh, Sunday morning, so uh, go Wallabies. Uh, this is what it's all about, is it? The World Cup's just a fantastic, and it's game after game, and even when it's some of these lesser games, it's it's still worth watching, but it's moments like this, that Wales-England game, this Australia-England game, it's, you know, we've Talked about this matchup since the draw was released many years ago. So, fantastic stuff. So, Jamie, Will and Matt, thanks for your time tonight. Uh, and to our listeners, thanks for listening in. Uh, we'll be back next week. You've heard it. Matt's got us com- confirmed. So, we'll be back same time next week, hopefully celebrating a big Wallaby win, hey? Yeah, look forward yep. to it. Thanks, everyone. We'll see you then. Yeah, right there, right there.